areas a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing idly here all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise each received a denarius. And when they had received it, they murmured against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not law for me for, for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. This is the word of the Lord for the people. Thanks be to God. The last shall be first and the first last. Before that, I don't know if you've ever noticed that this parable is sandwiched between that phrase at the beginning and the end. If you go back to the 19th uh, chapter of, uh, of uh, Matthew, the chapter just before it in verse 30, the verse just before the passage that we read begins, it says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. You think maybe the Lord's trying to tell us something? He starts it off with the last will be first, first will be last. He ends it up with the same thing. Now, what precedes that, interestingly, is the story, the factual story of the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, you, you lack just, just one thing. Just go sell everything you have and uh, give it to the poor. And then you come in and follow me. And it says that he just turned around and he went away sorrowful. And then Jesus uh, uh, wound up uh, ta- commenting to him about that one. How hard it is for those who are rich. How hard it is for those who have lots of stuff to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then Peter says, uh, well, then, or they, those disciples say, well, then who can be saved? And then he says, what's, if it doesn't, even though it's hard, what's impossible with men is possible with God. And so uh, Peter apparently thinks about this for a while. And then he, uh, he says, Lord, you know what? We, uh, we did that. We, we, we got rid of everything. And we followed you. And he said, uh, behold, we have left everything 
and followed you, what then will there be for us? And then Jesus gives this wonderful promise to everybody that's willing to follow him. Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the uh, regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon uh, 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes. And listen to this, and everyone. Does that include you? Yeah, you're everyone. And so you can put your name in there, and Kim, and Sharon, and Becky, and Sue, and uh, uh, I could go and name every week. You could just put your name in here. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. And that's when he says, but... Many who are first will be last and the last first. So Peter's question in the middle of all this is a rather common question. What's in it for us? What's in it for me? What's in all this, uh, this, 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 this being true and following you? He's not saying it in a bad way. He just realizes we've been doing this. So what's in it for us? And he says, much more than you've ever had before, more than you could ever imagine, more than you give up, you're going to get and then some. And uh, I have found that that is true. As Sharon and I just choked everything and started to follow him, he has blessed us. And we know that in the world to come, we're going to be blessed even more. We know that. But in the story, he he gives this parable. And there's something he's trying to get across to us in here about the last first and the first last. And he uh, tells about the the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard. And he goes out and at six o'clock in the morning, he sends, he hires these guys. He went to the, the place where all the, the uh, day laborers were gathered looking for work. And he said, okay, you, 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 you. And he hired a bunch of them. He sent them in the field. Then he came at uh, nine o'clock in the morning. He hired more. He came at noon. He hired more. He came at three o'clock in the afternoon and he hired more. And he came at one hour before six o'clock, which would be five o'clock and hired more. And he sent them all at these different points in time into the field. And then it comes pay time. And those guys that work for an hour, he has them get in line first. He gives them a day's wage. And then all the way down the line to the ones that started the beginning of the day, they get a day's wage, a denarius, which was equal to a day's pay. And those that started early griped. And he told them, what you griping about? You knew what you were going to get. We agreed on it before you took the first step toward going into the vineyard. You knew about it. We made a deal. So you don't have anything to say about this. As I was thinking about this, I remember two different people that are 
They've, they're both special to me. But one of them was a lady that was my treasurer at uh, my first full-time church. And uh, we were talking one day when I'd have to go by my house and pick up her check, my check, because we didn't have a church office. We had a study for the pastor, but we didn't have a real office. We didn't have a church secretary. We just kind of like this church here, you know. Uh, but uh, anyway, we, uh, we wound up, uh, I, I was there visiting with her. And somehow we got to talking about somebody, and I can't remember if they had just uh, come to know the Lord and they were on up in uh, years, or if it's somebody that hadn't come to know him yet. I think it was that case. I think it was a good guy, one of these guys had two wives in town, you know, one of those guys. And uh, we were talking about how, uh, you know, there's still hope for this guy. And uh, you remember that? I said, remember the story about the laborers in the vineyard? You know, those that came in last, you know, they got just as much as, and she said, yeah, and I hate that story. (laughs) I don't like that story at all. It's just not right. And there are a lot of other things in the Bible I don't like either. I thought that was rather interesting. Uh, So, uh, but anyway, I'll just let that go with that. But there is that attitude that some Christians have. Later on, uh, one of my favorite people of all times, he was one of my church members, but he never came to church. And I finally discovered why. He was protesting because he thought that the, uh, the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son got a bad rap. He didn't like that story. Neither did this lady, I told you before. They didn't like those things where people that came in uh, toward the end got as much or got blessed and received God's grace like those that had been working and had been faithful and all the way through, like the prodigal son's older brother that had been there. And he says, I've done everything you wanted me to do all these years and you never even gave me a skinny old goat to share with my buddies. And so, uh, you know, he just was griping. And all the way through the Bible, you see people griping and grumbling about what God does. All the way through, from the first uh, uh, book in the Bible, all the way through, there are gripers and grumblers. And all the way through, the Lord shares this basic thought. The kingdom of heaven is not a democracy. We've got to get this down, folks. There are a lot of people that think that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is a democracy. That it's run by public opinion. That's what brought about our split. Uh, what brought us to where we are now and why we're global Methodists is because uh, we believe that the kingdom of God is not something that can be decided by a vote. Maybe there's a dad or a mom here who sometime has had to say, my house, my rules. Anybody ever had to say that in your house? Let's see your hands. My house, my rules. Everybody has to do that from time to time. And it's it's just it. My house, my rules. And that's what the Lord's trying to get across to us in this parable. It's not so much about what you get. 
as it is about what the Lord has decided to give and what he has decided for us. Um, The word, the Bible, his word, God's word sets this straight. His kingdom, his rules. There's another parable about a vineyard where uh, the owner of the vineyard turned it over to some husbandmen, to some, some foremen, managers, to take care of it. And then he uh, started sending people to uh, collect uh, what was due. And they beat him up and threw him out, threw the messengers out. And finally the son came and they said, this is the heir. We'll, be, we'll, we'll kill him and then the vineyard will be ours. And so that's what they did. Sound familiar? That's what the Jewish leaders did with Jesus, isn't it? They killed him and threw him out of the vineyard, which is many times used as a symbol of Jerusalem and of Israel as a whole. They tried to just get rid of this upstart, this troublemaker. But it, and then Jesus, telling what's going to happen, told them, so what will the owner of that vineyard do? He's going to come and he's going to take care of these guys. And he's going to give the vineyard over to somebody else. I wrote a, uh, a paper about this in a, uh, a New Testament Greek class one time. And uh, I uh, called to the, the current situation back then. I called attention to it about how it just parallels what's, what was going on back then. It's still going on today as uh, mainline denominations try to just reenact this whole thing of kicking Jesus out and uh, taking the vineyard to themselves. We're going, we, we don't need, uh, what do they call it, slaughterhouse religion. We don't need bloody crosses. We don't need this. We don't need that. And uh, I said, and look what's happening. It's happening now. And I pointed out to how non-denominational churches and uh, churches that still held up God's word as the rule, that those churches were growing by leaps and bounds while these other churches were just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And my prof just went crazy as he was reading this. Because you need to understand, at that point in time, the only thing that he saw in the New Testament was desegregation. That was it. That's what it was all about. We had to read textbooks about uh, how a a Marxist looks at Christianity was one of them. And see, there in seminary, they were trying to train us to be change agents to... Uh, just laying the groundwork for what we're seeing still come about today. And so uh, he just said, well, well, what about the death of the church theology that the church is going to have to to lose its life before it can find it? And, you know, that very well could be. It could be after these churches that are, have thrown the Lord out when they realize what they've done to themselves and what they've become. Maybe they'll find their lives in him and maybe there'll be great revival i pray for that i hope that's what happens but we're in this middle time right now where our land is still trying to get rid of the lord and move god out of the conversation of our nation even and it's so sad but we don't have to go along with it 
And so uh, anyway, uh, he caught me walking across the uh, the, the uh, outside uh, one day. He said, hey, I need to talk to you about your paper. I thought, oh, man, he's going to just rake me over the cold. And uh, I'm not going with all the details, but uh, he said, well, you know, what about I bet you those churches that you're talking about that are growing. I bet they're all white. I bet there's not a person of color in there. And I said, no, Dr. So-and-so, you're wrong. You go to those churches, they're like a rainbow. They're people of all different colors coming together. Because you see, the important thing isn't the color of skin. The important thing is Jesus. And he had just never heard of a church like that. He was fascinated. He said, are there any churches like that around here in Dallas? Oh, yeah. And I gave him a list. And you know what? He went. And you know what? He became a charismatic. He went from uh, being a wide-eyed liberal back then. He was an open-minded liberal, you see. His heart was open. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. And he found out that God was bigger than what he could ever imagine. And so he wound up having a what you call a second conversion where he went, the Lord just revealed so much more to him than he had ever known before. And that's the way it should be with all of us. We should all be always keep our hearts and our minds open to the things of God. And you'll find that uh, in those churches that really love him, it's not about skin color. It's about him. And so uh, anyway, so that's uh, uh, that the, he, he tells that parable. And I think you can sum all that up to just make it clear that we can't change God's word and we can't extricate the son of God from being son, savior and Lord, his house, his rules. It's the way he said it was going to be the way he set it up to be from the foundation of the world. Once we settle that. Once we get through that, we can look at this parable with eyes of faith and we can see something different there other than, well, what about me? We can see what are the Lord's plans? What's his intention? What what is this really all about? And we can start trusting through eyes of faith that the way the Lord determines things to be will always be the best for us and for all creation. Now then, just thinking about this, which way do you think is best to be uh, those that went into the field early at six o'clock in the morning or those that came in at five o'clock in the evening? Now, if you're still in the world and uh, some of the people are going to be listening to this by uh, uh, on our podcast this evening, uh, they're gonna their their choice is gonna be, hey man, let's just stay in the let's just stay out of the key out of that vineyard just as long as we can. Let's have as much fun as we can as long as we can, and then let's just get things right with God right before we die, and then everything will be so cool all the way up and down, right? That's the way people in the world think. And if you're sitting here in church. And that's the way you've been thinking. And there are things that you haven't given up yet 
that you're putting off and putting off, you're missing out. You're missing out. Dr. Charles Allen told a story a long time ago, or he gave up an example of, uh, there are two kinds of Christians, real Christians, two kinds. There are thoroughbreds and there are Mustangs. Thoroughbreds are those, uh, you would, with a thoroughbred, the thoroughbred is, uh, is born, uh, in a stable. It winds up being handled every day. It knows human contact every day. It's walked every day. It learns how to wear a halter and go where uh, it's led at an early, early age. And all along the way, it's in contact with riders. They don't get on its back, but gradually a bridle is put on, a bit's put in the mouth, uh, they're exercised, they're, they have blankets put on their back, they wind up with a saddle on their back, and it just goes on very gradually until one day the rider just slips into the saddle and off they go, and everything is cool. The Mustang runs around wild and free, living off the land, doing what it wants to, and then all of a sudden it gets caught, and then it's taken into a a pin. They slap a blanket and a saddle, a saddle on its back, and a stick of a, a bridle and a bit in its mouth. And the rider gets on its back and rides that horse until it is broken. And from that moment on, the horse winds up being responsive to the rider. So that's the way Christians are. Some have been brought up in the Christian faith. Some of you may not remember when you didn't know Jesus. You accepted him as your Lord at such an early age that it's just been a part and he has been a part of your life from the get-go. And then there are some of you who you, just like the Mustangs, you ran wild and free. And then somehow the Lord got hold of you and he rode you till you broke. But now you're both, both different groups are sitting here. And the real question is, are you responsive to the rider? Are you responsive to the master's will? Either way is okay. None of us wants our children to have a tawdry testimony, do we? None of us want to say, yeah, I was a member of Hell's Angels and I chopped off fingers and I I did this and I did that. And then I came to know the Lord and I repented. Now I'm just doing so much good. You know, I don't whack people with chains anymore or anything. You know, I'm just so good now. Uh, Nobody wants their children to have that kind of a testimony, do they? They want to you want you want your children to be thoroughbreds. You want them to be those that have always known him and walked with him. It's so important. It's so important. Now, the question was, uh, which which is better early or late? Worldly people will say, late as possible. Uh, those that really stop and think about it that know the Lord, you should say, the earlier, the better. If you're still wrestling with it, listen to me a little longer. Let's look at this. Let's examine this some more. This is about employment. This in, in the, the, the story is about employment. Now, stop and think about it. Uh, all, all, and this whole bunch of guys that get paid at the end of the day, they all started out that morning unemployed. 
Just that some answered earlier to the call than others all along the way. Now, the guys that God hired at the beginning of the day, they went through the entire day with things settled, didn't they? They went through the day with a sense of dignity and peace, peace of mind, purpose. They knew what they were supposed to do all day long. Confidence, satisfaction, direction. And at the end of the day, they were looking forward to their reward. Isn't that kind of like uh, the life of a Christian? Once you come into the kingdom, you see no matter what time of day you come in, whether it's uh, at, at, at six o'clock or three o'clock or five o'clock, from that point on, you are looking forward to what lies ahead for you. Now, so we should say the earlier, the better. But let me tell you this, better late than never. Better late than never. And all of us and all of you who entered the kingdom early, you should be able to see that. And that should be a part of your testimony. You should be, you have a testimony, even if you're a thoroughbred, because you can say that, you know, I came to know the Lord early. I've always walked with him. And, but I can see I have friends that didn't. And I've seen all the uncertainty and the shakiness and the, the bad marriages and this and that, that I never had to go through because I had the Lord helping me along. And I'm so glad that I did. And you can have that too. You see, you have a testimony if you're a thoroughbred. Don't be ashamed of your testimony if you're a thoroughbred. But these that got hired later, they were going through the day with uncertainty, with insecurity. And the later in the day it got, the more desperation and hopelessness would come in. Isn't that the way it is with us in life? Just look at those people that haven't come to know the Lord. There's two different groups of them. There are those that uh, they, they, they're, they're totally, they're either agnostic or atheistic. You know, the difference is a, uh, an atheist says, you know, there is no God. The agnostic says, I don't know and I don't care. So, the, but the, those that, there are those that they know and they're putting it off. They're just not wanting to enter in. And so uh, those people, the later it gets in the day, the scarier it gets for them. Because of that early group, all day long, they were just getting closer to their reward. The rest of those, all day long, as they went through the day, were getting closer and closer to either nothing or calamity. And that's the way it is with us in life. If we haven't come into the kingdom, we're getting closer and closer to calamity. And we don't even know what's on the other side if we haven't come to know him. You know, I've talked about how I like to have reservations when I travel. I'm not going to go through all of that again. You've heard the story. But I do like to have a reservation because, you see, I like to know that after I've traveled all day, I'm going to have a place to light. And I want to know where it is. And that's the way it is with a Christian. If you know, 
See, you know, whenever this world ends, whenever this time ends here, you know you're going to have a place to light. You're going to have a place to be. Those that haven't come into the kingdom, they have no idea. But many of them have an inkling and it scares them to death. And so they live in this uncertainty. They're in a living hell on earth that we who came in at any point along the way no longer live in. And isn't that good? I think it's good. You guys don't seem to have your minds made up yet. Okay. Okay. Don't you think that's good to know where you're going? There, now I'm seeing some heads moving. I was getting worried about this. Okay, good. So, you see, the sooner you make your reservation, the more confident in this world you can be. This is so important. You see, uh, anyway, until you get come into the kingdom of heaven, there is darkness and doubt at the end of the road. And once you do come in, there's really no end. Once you come to what people call the end of this life, it's just a, a gateway onto the Grand Parkway. I mean, it's just a, an entrance into more life than we've ever known before. We sang Amazing Grace earlier. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Now, John Newton, the author of that particular hymn, is a poster child to someone that came in late. And he is one of those that would definitely, and this is what the whole song is about, better late than never, better late than never. The beginning of his life was terrible. He was an evil and terrible person, but he lived with a fear and a dread in his heart. And then he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And all of that fear and dread and darkness and meanness went away. And then he could pen this hymn as his testimony. And it's the testimony of many of us as well. Yes, better late than never. But even better than that is early on. You youngins, I hope that you're hearing this. It's good for you to enter in early and know him. I'll end with a true story. I was, uh, I went to the hospital or there was a lady that was a member of our church that was dying. She was, uh, they, they said that she was about to slip into a coma and that she'd never come out again. But before I went to see her, I ran her husband down and found him. And he was in a hotel room drinking, feeling sorry for himself because he was going to have to do something about burying her. And he just really wasn't happy about having to bury her and do something with her body. He decided he was going to have her cremated and just send her uh, uh, cremains up to the family and they could figure out what to do with her up there. And it, he was also, even at the same time that he was trying to figure out how to dodge hospital bills and all that sort of stuff, at the same time he was trying to figure out how much he could get and where he could sell the fur coat that he bought her many years ago and thinking about how much money he could get out of that fur coat. 
This is her husband for many years. So then I go to the hospital room and she is there and they say she's already gone into a coma and she's never going to come out again. And so I just sat there to be with her for a little bit to maybe so somebody would be with her and she wouldn't die alone. And as I was sitting there, she opened her eyes and she looked and she saw me and she squinted and she said, who are you? And so I walked over to the bed and I said, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Joel McMahon. I'm the, I'm the one of the pastors at your church. And uh, I heard that you were ill and I just came here to be with you for a while. And uh, do you mind if I have a word of prayer with you? And she said, no, I don't mind. And then in the past, whenever I got to this point, many times whenever I would feel prompted to ask about their salvation, I think, you know, I need to wait till she's feeling better. But the Lord impressed on me, I needed to ask her then. And so I said, before we pray, just let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? And she looked at me kind of askance and said, yeah. And so we prayed. And I prayed during my prayer. I prayed that he would just make her mindful of just the fact that there was a place in his heart filled with love just for her. And there was a place on his cross for her sin. And after we got through praying, I said, do you mind if I just sit here with you for a while? And she said, no, that's okay. I said, I, can, I know you're tired and you're having a hard time talking, so I'll just sit over here, but just know I'll be here. And so I sat down and she went back into a coma and then she woke up again and she looked and she said something. I couldn't understand it. And so I got over close to her and I said, I'm so sorry. Just like I have to do for y'all all the time nowadays, you know, but... Uh, uh, she just she was so weak and I said, I'm so sorry I didn't understand what you said and she said I want to ask Jesus into my heart and I said that's wonderful and I led her in the sinner's prayer and she breathed a sigh of relief and she went back to sleep and she never woke up again in this world she went to sleep in a hospital in the Woodlands, Texas and she woke up and she was home she made it last minute but she made it and i'm so glad that she did and let me tell you this i don't grumble that she was able to enter at the last minute i rejoice and i rejoice that he used this poor humble soul to help her to make that decision and to step on in in that i rejoice But I tell you, when I look back, I grieve. I grieve at the thought of the unhappy life that she had lived up to that point, knowing that it could have been so much better if she'd entered into the kingdom before. If she could have begun walking with Jesus sooner, she could have had so much more light and happiness and joy in her life. So, if you've been putting it off, you're missing out. If you know somebody that's been putting it off, maybe a good time to start looking for an opportunity to let them know that Jesus has a place in His heart 
just for them. And there's a place on his cross just for them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.